what that is. How many of you have ever been to a circus? That's a segue. That's a... Any, how many of you have ever been to a... Listen, I go to school to learn this stuff. How many of you have ever been to a circus? I've been there when they had elephants. You ever, been, you ever seen them restrict an elephant? I remember taking the kids for the first time out here at the parking lot, and it was a big thing. Uh, they don't do it anymore. And they had this little rope, this like three-inch rope wrapped around this great big elephant's leg and had it over here, and they had this stake driven in the parking lot. And, and I'm thinking, that rope ain't going to keep that elephant from going nowhere, right? And then I began to do some reading and discovered that when an elephant is really baby, they take and put a great big chain on that baby elephant, and then they put this massive stone, and that baby elephant can't get away from that stone. So as that elephant grows to be the big animal that they become, they are subconsciously trained that if they got this rope around their leg, that they can't get any further away from that. Do you know how many Christians today are tied to something by a piece of string? Literally. We've been subconsciously programmed to believe that we don't have the ability to break the limitations of our childhood. Or of the religious picture we were given of ourselves. I see so many people who have such an inner image, a self-image of themselves, that they remain bound to something that has no ability to control them. I think my job many times is to help you to understand that there is nothing that can keep you from being everything God's called you to be. Nothing. There's this great quote that I love from Dr. Joyce Brothers who says that it is impossible to perform consistently in a manner inconsistent with the way we see ourselves. I love this quote because we will never perform in a manner beyond that as we see ourselves to be. So an elephant will never perform everything if the self-image on the inside of them is skewed. If we have adopted something on the inside that holds us. And the difficulty is, is that we have a problem remembering further back than when we were trained by those things. The psalmist said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. Say, don't forget. Don't forget. Say, don't forget. Did you know that the entire Judeo-Christian story is about remembering? Moses, in the book of Deuteronomy, was always reminding the children, don't forget it's God that brought you out of Egypt. Don't forget that it's God that destroyed Pharaoh. Don't forget that God is bringing you into the promised land. That we are called to remember what God has done and is doing in our lives. That, that, that's why Jesus would say in John chapter 16, he'd say, the Holy Spirit's going to come and teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. That's why he would hold up the cup and the bread and go do this in remembrance. You see, the only way to really remember anything is to make a ritual out of it. And Protestants hate rituals. Unless it's their anniversary. Unless it's the birthday of a child. Listen, you will never remember anything just by mental ability. Remembrance has to do with action. And when you put action to the fact that you love her and you buy her a gift, then your love is in action. 
I'll teach you all things. He's not going to teach you by giving you information. He's going to teach you by setting up a system of disciplines whereby you pray, you read your Bible, you worship, you do things in a consistent manner that keep you from forgetting and remembering who you really are. There's this entire process in America that says you don't have to do anything. Listen, faith without works is... In other words, if your attitude never turns into action, it never means anything. I get it all the time. People go, well, in my heart, listen, I'm not a cardiologist. I don't know what's in your heart. You need to understand that the way we remember is by doing something in a repetitive manner. That we choose to remember who we are. That we don't live in this forgetfulness that seems to be really taken into some sort of disease today and we've forgotten who we are, that we're a massive elephant, so to speak, that we've forgotten that we are made in the likeness and the image of God. And all manner of informational giving will never change people's lives. Did you know I can show you statistics from any number of different educational centers, research centers. Did you know that information alone never changes anyone? Never. In fact, it is a proven qualified study that says when people are simply given information about God, information about religion, that number one, they feel worse about themselves and not better. That, that number two, they feel further away from God than they did before. And that number three, generally they find faith foolish. That my job is not to just give you information and touch your head. My job is to help create an atmosphere wherein the presence of God can be experienced and encountered. And, and, and you can know him in a real and tangible way. God manifests himself through Jesus Christ so that we could know him. The happiness that Jesus left the world is so profound. Jesus stepped into the midst of horrible situations and told people they were valuable. Come down out of that tree. Get up out of that dust. Let me heal your body. Jesus is the king of bringing joy and happiness to the world. He didn't do it through new teaching. He did it through his relationships with us. It is our relationships as we have related to God that will truly set people free from being bound by a rope to a stake. If you have to come into some sort of informational process that you put into place in order to go free, we will remain forever bound to that thing. Am I making any sense yet? But when I know down on the inside that I am this child of God, this son and daughter of God, then I can go free. We are in a deficit of happiness and joy in Christianity today because we continue to think that it's the distribution of information that will set people free. If that were true, Jesus would never have had to come. Listen, talk about something written down. The Jews had it written down. If that and that alone would set us free, it would have worked. Today, I would challenge my peers that we need to start looking at how the unhappiness of the church is being moved into this culture. And because there is no joy, then we are bound to that stake in the ground holding what would be an elephant to something that should never happen. Jesus himself is joy. 
Jesus himself is peace. Jesus himself is our happiness. Our happiness does not come from circumstances or from behaviors or with rewards of those behaviors. Happiness comes because we know the one who has created us to be happy and to be joyful and to know this. But what we have done is miss some very basic things. And that is that happiness is based on relationship. When I'm in relationship with this young man, I'm happy. When your relationship with your spouse is good, you're happy. And the relationships that we have are predicated by this one thing, giving. When I give myself away, when I am satisfied with who I am in Christ, I can be a generous person. And I'm not looking at that other relationship to receive anything, but rather I'm trying to give everything I have away. If we are secure in our relationship with God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then we can give everything to other people. That is happiness. And when we can become that happy and we're not walking around going, why me, why me, why me all the time, then we can begin to live in this thing called joy and pleasure and God and his life and his love. Oh. But see, because that is still out of whack in us, I'm going to do this in 20 minutes. Just watch. I, I left you last week by reading you encourage one another, greet one another, love one another. We have been so sucked into a religious cultish mindset in America that we are arguing about which sex can minister rather than spending time encouraging one another. Listen to how much dribble has slept into the church. Wondering about who can be loved, who can be accepted, and who can do anything rather than spending our time encouraging each other to discover that they are stronger and more powerful than they have ever imagined. I stood not long ago in Florence, Italy, and we had to get tickets to stand in this line to see something I've wanted to see all my life. I absolutely love art. Just love it. I don't have any talent, but I love it. And I wanted to see the statue of David. And Michelangelo had sculpted this. He didn't pour it in a thing. He took a great big piece of stone and he chiseled away and left King David standing there. It's this huge. And I'm just in awe. I can still see the veins. The detail of it is just. And if you know anything about sculpting and stone, I, can't, I don't know how they did this. The Michelangelo ability to remove the unnecessary to reveal what's on the inside. I, I want to be that kind of artist, Brian. I want to be the kind of artist that can encourage you to put away everything that has nothing to do with who the Brian really is created by God to be. Most of the church has been pointing out all of that stuff rather than encouraging slipping away all that stuff, and revealing the God that's on the inside of every one of us. Why doesn't the church spend its time encouraging one another? Why don't we get a different attitude about revealing who it is that lives on the inside of every one of us? Because I promise you, it's more beautiful than the statue of David. I stood in that place and stared at David and realized there's a child of God on the inside of me. And I am so grateful to the day for the people that would remove the things away so that I could see who I really am. Hmm. We need to divorce ourselves from any kind of religious 
apparatus that would do anything other than reveal the Christ that's in every human being. Hmm. If I don't say anything else, I hope you got that. Isn't it interesting that in Matthew 16, who do men say that I am? The son of man. Who do men say that I, the son of man, am? And they said, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, some say you're Jeremiah, some say you're Baptist, some say you're Methodist, some say you're Roman Catholic, some say, some say, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you. I think he went, you got it, man. Give me five. I think he chest bumped him. I do. I think Jesus went, that's right. Because anytime one of us recognize that Jesus is Lord, anytime we recognize that Jesus is the one that can reveal to us who we are, anytime we understand that only God can help us become everything we've called to be, that my dependence is upon Jesus, my dependence upon Him and Him alone, everything else I've ever known or tried to know is useless because God has revealed Himself to me. And He goes, I'm going to change your name. You're Rocky. Some of you in this room this morning need to hear God say, you're Rocky, you're a mighty man of God, you're a mighty girl of God, you can do all things. You know, simply on our confession that Jesus is Lord, God can begin to shape our lives in ways we've never known. It is that simple. It doesn't need a lot of doctrine or dogma. It just needs to know that. Upon that confession, upon that reality, Christ can begin to work in our lives in ways we've never, ever imagined. I've got to move this really quickly. So, can I go just slightly deeper this morning? Seven minutes. Just three little things I'd leave with you. How can we become the people with an attitude that can help others recognize who they really are? Number one, listen intentionally. Listen intentionally. It, it, it is a gift that you need to develop, the ability to listen to somebody else's story. Listen, she crawled through the crowd after 12 years of being ill. She crawled through a crowd. She touched the hem of his garment. He instantly turned around and said, who touched me? She stood up and said, I did. And these were his words. Tell me your story. It wasn't enough for Jesus to know that she was healed. He wanted to do something else. He wanted to do something deeper. He wanted to do something even more important. I mean, he was on his way to raise Jairus' daughter from the dead, but he stopped to listen to the whole story. The rest of the crowd would have been satisfied with him being healing. Hear me, Pentecostals. We would have been satisfied with the healing. Jesus stopped to listen to her story. Why? Because more important than her physical healing was her image of herself. More important than her physical healing was the way she saw herself and saw God. She had not been welcome in the temple. She had been an outcast for 12 years. He said, tell me your story. We need to slow down and listen to people's stories. How did they get caught in that? How did they get held in that? Why were they bound to that cord over to that stake? When he got through listening to her story, it's the first and the only time that he ever calls or addresses a woman like this in Scripture. Daughter. Daughter. Pete, there's so much conversation about sons, but he called her daughter. Women, hear me this morning. I am so jacked. Jesus turned, listened to her story, and then called her a daughter of God. It's the only time. 
Why? Because he was more focused on returning her to her true identity than he was on her healing. The only way we help people discover who they really are is listen to their story. Number two, praise abundantly. Praise abundantly. We need to become the best praisers of other people that there are in this county. We need everybody ought to get around us and we ought to be the greatest encouragers there are. I think I read this in a Gary Smalley book or John Trent writing. I don't know, but I have people all the time tell me, you got that story from somebody. I got everything from somebody. There's nothing new under the sun. Every story I tell, unless it's about my own grandkids, I got it somewhere. So just FYI, I think it came from Gary Smalley, but it's a story about a dad, and they had about a four- or five-year-old girl who was acting out. You ever had a four-year-old act out? Then you haven't had a four-year-old. Uh, and they were acting out, and so the mother, exasperated, looks at the father and says, you need to do something about this kid. So he takes her to the pancake house. And for about 15 minutes, he says, honey, you are a special child. Your mom and I love you. You, you, you're going to grow up and be just a unique person and we love you and we pray for you and we're trying to give you everything because we love you. You're so unique and so special. And, and I just thought I'd take you to breakfast this morning just to specifically tell you that. And when he took a breath, she said, go longer, daddy. Keep talking, daddy. So he said, I did it again. I did it again. He said, I never ate my pancakes because he said, she just kept saying, tell me more, daddy. You know how many people today in the world just need to be told how great they are, how special they are, how important they are? Parents, listen to me. The most important thing you do is tell your children how important they are, how unique. People need that kind of praise. They need that kind of encouragement. Number one, listen. Number two, be the greatest praiser that there is. Learn how to do it. And finally, number three, if we want to change the atmosphere and the attitude around so that everybody feels encouraged and discovers that there's more in them than what they previously know, become a grateful person yourself. Become a grateful person. And I'm very, very serious. Thank God for everything. Thank God for the good, the bad, the ugly, the indifferent. Thank God for the circumstances. Thank God. Don't let it just be an attitude. Let it become an action in your own life. Let, let everything you do and say become centered on the fact that you have nothing without him and that you are grateful to the point to where you're absolutely irritating to people that are trying to complain. Amen. Oh, well, you'll get it in a minute. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, who daily loads me with benefits. I, uh, my grandmother used to say, son, I'm going to have a benefit. Now, what that meant by Grandma Jessie was she was about to hoop. And if she had a hanky, it was coming out. And she didn't care whether we were standing in cresses. Some of you have no idea what cresses is. But it didn't matter whether we were standing in cresses. Listen, I used to go with Grandma Jessie to the cresses store, and we had these green stamps. And we had saved up green stamps. I've just aged myself, I can tell. But on Grand Street in Ponca City, Oklahoma, there was a cresses store before there ever was a Kmart. Some of you don't even remember Kmart. There was a Crescent store. <laughs> and you saved up green stamps. And my grandmother would sit in that Oldsmobile outside of that Crescent store. And she'd pray, Jesus, Lord, Lord, I just pray I got enough green stamps and a little enough money that I can buy Duana. My grandmother, thank God for 
Become grateful in everything you do. Thank God for all his benefits. And if she said benefits, you better look out. She's going to embarrass you. I can't tell you the number of times. We'd stand at the Cressus counter, and she's standing out green camps, green stamps. And then they'd tell her how much it was. She goes, just a minute. i got to go to the bank. And she'd turn around. She says, now, Dwayne, you stand right there. And she starts digging. <laughs> and she'd dig down in here, and she'd pull out this hanky. And she'd untie the hanky, and there was money in the hanky, and then she'd put it back in the bank. And then when she'd pay for it, she'd stand there and go, now let's have a benefit. Hallelujah. And she'd start shouting. I was glad to have the shirt, but Grandma, could you wait till we get it? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Remember this. Develop an attitude of gratitude. Develop a ritual of gratitude. We can change the culture around us by listening. Nobody listening to anybody today. Nobody. We change attitude around us by praising people. Even do it before there's anything worthy praising of. There's a David on the inside of it. Nobody else can see it, but I can see it. I'll just call forth the best out of people. Just call it forth. Call those things that be not as though they are. They're just a block of stone, but on the inside there, I see a David. And number three, develop a grateful attitude within yourself. Act grateful. Sound grateful, be grateful. Hmm. Well, I have people all the time stop me on the street. Literally. Well, Pastor, we understand your praise and worship. Pastor, we understand your preaching. But we don't understand why you continue to tell people they need to receive communion on a weekly basis. I'll tell you. Because this service is supposed to be centered around one thing. Not my singing or their singing. Not my preaching. It's supposed to be centered about being grateful for the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're supposed to remember it and be reminded of it every time we gather together that we're here for one thing. To say thank you, Eucharist. To say thank you for the son that came, the son that died, the son that rose again. The center of our gratitude should simply be to remember. So yes, every time we come together, I'm so grateful for the song service. I'm so grateful for your response. I'm so grateful for the presence of God that took place in the mystery of worship. I'm so grateful for the word of God and just a little bit of a gift to expound upon it. I'm grateful for that. I'm also grateful to be able to come back and do something that's been done since the beginning of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And that's to hold that bread, to lift that cup, and say, thank you. Can I tell you, I have to have it in order to remember that greater is he that's in me than he that's in this world. Can I tell you why the world is struggling with being happy? It's because they forget to continually say, thank you, and do it together. Do it together so that our children so that my friends and my neighbors see me publicly I'm open about it without Jesus I'm nothing and I'm going to live my life in such a way that everybody knows that I have to keep coming back to him to receive his grace to receive his mercy and to be empowered to live this life would you stand with me